0: Uh, Turn your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to continue in the series Unstoppable uh, as we look in Acts chapter 13. We're going to be starting in verse 13 uh, this morning. And uh, while you guys are flipping there, uh, just a a fun, you know, as we're into a new school year, uh, we had our back to school bash at the Sugar Grove campus with all of our. Uh, students uh, a few weeks ago now, and uh, something we had done for the, in the weeks building up to it is we really challenged and encouraged all of our students to say, hey, we want to invite friends, we want your friends to be able to come to the church, uh, hear the good news about Jesus Christ, we want to start building relationships with them. So we uh, kind of, well, you could call it bribing, or you can call it just incentive, whatever you might call it. We told our, our students that, hey, if you bring two or more friends to the back-to-school bash, uh, you'll be your your name will be entered into a drawing uh, for a, a big door prize, um, and everybody who comes is going to be entered to win a door prize. But if you bring two or more friends, you can win a, a big door prize. And so these kids are all excited about it, and and we went on and wondering what these big door prizes were. And we wouldn't tell them what they were. They'd, we had this uh this one uh, seventh grade boy, who every time he saw me for like the three weeks uh, going up to the back to school bash, he said, Jeremy What is the big door prize? I'm inviting all of these friends, but I want to know what it is. I'm like, dude, I'm not going to tell you. You just got to find out later, right? And so the back-to-school bash comes around, and our our students invited tons of friends to come, uh, and many of them weren't able to be there, but we had a lot of kids. I think we had like 26 uh, friends come to the back-to-school bash, which was just cool and exciting. And so it just happens that this boy, though, uh, who had been asking me over and over and over again, uh, what that big door prize would be. He brought more than uh, two friends, and he actually won the big door prize. And so we're uh, we're handing it out, and he got a gift card to Amazon, and he was all excited. And then you know we were doing it at the end of the night, and I was walking out into the foyer just to kind of say goodbye to kids as they're leaving, talk to parents real quick. And he comes up to me, and the foyer's like, "Hey, hey, well, what what's the big door prize? What is it? Like, what's what's that big prize?" I was like. You won it, man. Like, you got the big door prize. And he was, I did? I was like, Yeah, what do you think it is that I gave you? He's like, well, I don't know. I just didn't know that that was it. And then he was all excited and he was proud and like, Hey, I won this big door prize. And um, I share that story with you because, in some ways, I think it's similar to what Paul's facing. Uh, with the Jewish uh, people in the synagogues, right? We're going to see this morning, you know, we've seen last week that they've started out in this missionary journey. He goes first to the Jews in their synagogues and preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And this morning we're going to see Paul go again to a Jewish synagogue, and essentially he's going to say, listen, he's going to talk of God's faithfulness. We're going to read the passage, and he's going to remind these Jewish people of God's faithfulness throughout the years uh, to them as a nation. And then he's going to say, listen, but the biggest promise, that promise of a Messiah, he's come. You've, you've heard about him. You, you may know who he was, Jesus Christ. He was the promised Messiah. And he goes to say the greatest gift that was there, the biggest gift, the, God's greatest act of faithfulness has come. It's been delivered to you, and I want to open your eyes to that reality. So just like this little 7th grade boy, he he had seen and experienced that uh, bigger door prize that he was so excited about but didn't recognize it and he was still living this kind of anxiety not I wouldn't call it anxiety but this this anxiousness this excitement to find out what it was when he learned that uh, he had already received it, he was he was thrilled and we're going to see Jew, the Jewish people respond in a similar way so uh, look with me to verse 13 in Acts 13 uh, this morning and I'm just going to our semi-longer passage but it's important that we read through it together, so uh, let's, let's do that now. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So, Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he had led them out of it. And for about forty years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about four hundred and fifty years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I'm not he, no. But behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them, Their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, You will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. And as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you that you have sent your Son to pay the penalty for sins that if we were to believe, we could have life in him and a restored relationship with you. Thank you for Paul's boldness to speak to the Jews and the way that he chronicles your faithfulness throughout the years uh, leading up to Christ's coming. And Lord, I pray now as we spend some time looking at the encouragement that the gospel provides us, that you would speak through me, that we would each walk out of here encouraged and lifted up in our relationship with you and spurred on to go and share it with those around us. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a, a sermon that uh, I would hope, I pray that when it's said and done in, in a little bit, when you guys leave this place, that you would be encouraged. This isn't a sermon that's uh, there to, or a passage that's given to condemn or, or call guilt upon us or, or restore righteousness, but this is Paul pleading with and sharing an encouraging word, right? As, as it starts out, the rulers of the synagogue say, hey, if you've got a word of encouragement, please share it. So Paul found this message to be the most encouraging thing that he could have shared at that moment. And while many of us are believers, we've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, that doesn't mean that the gospel message isn't relevant to us. It's not the same as like we hear it and we turn in repentance and we trust Jesus again for the forgiveness of our sins all over, but it's an encouragement to us of what has happened in our spiritual lives, what has brought us to this point and reminds us of key uh, components of God's character. And that's what I want to talk this morning about. Three uh, aspects of God's character that the gospel demonstrates to us that provides encouragement. The first of which is God's kindness. God's kindness. Knowing his audience, Paul stands up in this Jewish synagogue and says, you know what? You guys, you, you, haven't, you haven't gotten this Jesus. Uh, you don't understand who he is. But let me uh, chronicle for you God's kindness throughout the ages. He works through their own history, starting all the way back with the, their fathers, right? If you guys know where that takes place, that's all the way back in Genesis, right? So Paul rewinds and goes all the way back to Genesis to then build up to sharing that good news about Jesus Christ. So he, he talks of God's kindness as, he, as God calls his, his, uh, his people into existence, chooses his nation. It's really great. If you look through this passage, I'm just blown away at God's kindness. And he says he, he... Put up with them, uh, as verse 18 reads. Some translations say he carried them uh, through the wilderness. What a, what a blessing that is. What a great demonstration of God's kindness. Uh, he gave them land as an inheritance. He gave them judges. He gave them kings. God is a, a God of kindness, giving to his people uh, what is needed for them to live in relationship with him. Right? We see at the, in the fall a relationship with God that was severed and broken by sin that man could not fix, and right there at the beginning, right in Genesis 3.15, we see God in his promise uh, calling a Savior to come, right? There's a Savior who's going to come, and the rest of the Bible is chronicling this tale, this story of how God is bringing out his redemptive plan to redeem mankind uh, to himself. And that's why today's uh, message is titled, The Gospel, A Story Throughout History, right? God's been carrying out this story throughout all of time. So God is seen to be a very kind God. It's cool to, to look in here, and if you were to count, I, th- I found this very interesting as I was studying this passage. Thirteen times in this text it says that God did something. It doesn't, Paul doesn't take the time to highlight the, the work of the judges. He doesn't take time to highlight the work of David, to uh, tell the, the full story of the... Uh, inheritance of the promised land but instead Paul chooses to take this time and say haven't you seen God's kindness throughout all of these things Uh, God chose our fathers he made the people great he led them the focus here is on God and his his kindness to his people and giving and demonstrating his love for them I think it would be true for those of us who know Christ right we have experienced God's kindness in a very special and powerful way And where this message should bring encouragement, where the gospel message should bring encouragement to a believer is not that we need to accept Jesus all over, but it's that, hey, do you remember back to when you you were saved? Do you remember the excitement that you experienced as having this newfound uh, relationship with God and the the experience of his love for you? And there are seasons in life where, as believers, we we struggle with that, right? We can become caught up in the, the legalism or the the processes or the rituals of being a Christian, and we forget that great kindness, that joy that we have in in Christ. And so let it be an encouragement to you that, man, God is so kind that he has given us a Savior. God is so kind that he has worked throughout history to redeem you, to redeem me, that we could have a relationship with him because we couldn't do that on our own. This kindness, ultimately, we're going to come back to this uh, passage over and over again, or this verse in this passage, verse 32 and 33. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also is written in the second psalm. And then he quotes the second psalm, right? His kindness is, is... culminating up into the person of Jesus Christ. That he has raised him from the dead. And this shouldn't be one of those things that when we hear it we just kind of tuck it, yeah man I've heard that, I get it, it's, this is old news but there's a joy about it. This very truth is what motivated Paul to go and to continue sharing. He found such great joy in this as he was called to be a, an apostle to the Gentiles because Jesus had risen from the dead. So do not be discouraged, but be encouraged by God's kindness in the gospel message. Revisit that. Spend time there. Let God work in your heart and soften your heart to, to that, that message that then we would want to uh, be able to reflect on his kindness and share it with other people, right? Bill prayed and, and said, you know, we want to be able to share with those in our community who Jesus is. What an opportunity when we've had the time to stop and reflect reflect on, on God's kindness, reflect on His goodness to us, that then we're, we're, we want to share that with other people, that they might experience the same thing. So, the gospel encourages us because it demonstrates God's kindness. Secondly, it demonstrates God's faithfulness. It demonstrates God's faithfulness. And, and these things, they can seem very connected, and we'll talk in a little bit about how, how these aspects of God's character are interwoven together, but his faithfulness is seen in the fulfillment of his promises, in his ongoing provision uh, for his people. He chronicles the Old Testament. Uh, we see that he's been working sovereignly throughout these things. Again, this is not you know, the, the father's choosing to follow God. It's not that the people did enough good and they went and uh, were able to conjure up this relationship with God or do something good enough, make a good enough sacrifice that God would just uh, appe- be appeased and have a relationship with them, but God's faithfulness is seen in Him acting and providing over and over and over again. I believe this is really what Paul is—the the heartstring of what Paul is trying to tug on here with the Jews. He says, Hav- "Haven't you seen your history? You know your history." You know the story of how uh, God has worked in the past. Haven't you seen him be faithful in all these ways? Haven't you seen him be faithful to call your fathers? And haven't you seen him be faithful to lead the people out of Israel? Haven't you seen him to be faithful to provide the land to you guys? Haven't you seen him be faithful over and over and over again? And now I'm going to tell you one more way that God has been faithful. He's fulfilled his promise of bringing in the Messiah. God is a faithful God. That's encouraging for us. As believers, when we're going through the difficulties in life, when we're struggling to see what tomorrow may have, uh, we're struggling to make decisions, we know that God's faithful. When we look at our culture today, it can feel uh, like it's a lost cause as we continue to stray farther and farther from God. It can feel hopeless, but we know that God's faithful. We can have encouragement as believers. And again, this culminates... In verse 32 and 33, God is faithful to have fulfilled His promise of a Messiah. He's faithful to fulfill the promise to bring a Savior. Now this is the coolest thing. To us, this is just a couple lines, a paragraph on one sheet of paper. But if what Paul is talking about goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15. All of this is testimony to God's work. Him bringing a Savior is the fulfillment of all of this. And that is what is so cool to me. is that We don't serve a God that just acted once. We serve a God who has been faithful to act throughout history. He is a God who has worked through history. He's raised up kingdoms. He's brought kingdoms down. He's raised up rulers. He's uh, taken rulers out, What we see in Saul. God is a God who has acted throughout history, and what a a great encouragement that is for us, that as He has worked through kingdoms, why why would He stop that now? If He did that in the past to bring out His will, to uh, execute His plan, wouldn't He be faithful to continue that today? That's where you and I are, are, are brought into this, right? We're living in the time after Christ. We've been given, as Paul says, this message of salvation we have that great blessing, but now we get to be part of the story, and we need to not lose sight of the fact that God is still working. God is still calling new people to be in his, in his fold, in his flock, right? And he has given us that privilege to go, that privilege to be witnesses, right? He talks about how those who witness Christ, they are now his witnesses uh, to the people. Um, yesterday, I went golfing with my brothers and for the first time in my entire life, I got a hole-in-one, okay? I couldn't believe it. I was astonished. I was so excited. And so I went back into the, the pro shop afterwards, and I told the guy who was working there, I was like, hey, do you guys, like, some courses you can pay, like, a little money before you golf, that if you do get a hole-in-one, you win, like, a lot of money, right? And I was like, I just want to see if I'm going to hate myself for not doing that if they offer it. So I walked in and asked him, he was like, oh, no. But he was like, I'll tell you what, I, I need a witness, someone who saw you get a hole-in-one, and we'll put it in the newspaper. I was like, oh, that's cool. But he's like, but I need a witness. So one of the guys you were golfing with needs to come and sign his name that he witnessed you actually got this. So my brother came and signed, and, you know, we are witnesses too, Right? We give testimony to the fact that Jesus is risen. God is a loving and faithful and kind God. And we get to testify to a watching world all the time that that is true. But sadly, what happens too often is is we come to experience this great gift of God and we just kind of hold it into ourselves or we become fearful of what other people are going to think. And instead of testifying and witnessing to its reality, we just sit back. Or cower back in our, our own homes or our own little bubbles. And, and we fail to be those witnesses that we're called to be. But let's be witness of what uh, God's faithfulness is over and over again. I believe this is why Paul can speak so boldly as he has witnessed the risen Savior. He can speak boldly because he believes, as he says in Romans 1.16, that I believe the gospel is the power of God for salvation. First to the Jews and gen- then to the Gentiles. It's the power of God. So He can speak boldly because He knows, hey, you know what? The power is not in me. The power is not in my eloquence or my skills, but the power is in the Gospel. So I can be confident and bold in that. And we can too. We can too. Don't be ashamed of the Gospel, but be empowered by it to be sent. This is a passage that contains the good news. We need to not just hold this to ourselves, but, but be encouraged by it. If you're struggling with one of these things, as we talk about God's kindness, as we talk about His faithfulness, as we talk in a minute about His graciousness, so if you're struggling with, with knowing that, ask God that He would start to reveal it to you. As I think about God's kindness, I, I've always been, when you stop and think about it, so many things we take for granted in life, and when you slow down you start to thank God for the things around you, you begin to see His faithfulness. You see His kindness in the relationships that we have. The fact that we have a church that we can gather in. That we have other believers who God has called to salvation. That we get to encourage each other and spur each other on. We get to support each other. We get to help each other grow. What a cool blessing. God's faithful. He is kind. And lastly, God's God's graciousness. We see it in the gospel. He shares that God is a gracious God, beginning again. We see it as he calls the fathers. Think of Abraham. Think of Abraham. God called Abraham. Had Abraham done anything to merit God calling him? No. But God chose to call Abraham to follow him. Why? Because God's God, right? And God can do that. You think of Isaac. Before Isaac was even born, Isaac was a child of promise, right? God had chosen before his birth that he was going to uh, continue his covenant that he had uh, made with Abraham with Isaac. You think of Jacob, right? And uh, Jacob didn't do anything, but as a matter of fact, in Romans, in Romans chapter 9, it talks about how, uh, let's uh, let's read it, where is it in my notes? And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, Our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hate it. God's graciousness, remember what is grace, is being given something that we don't deserve. Right? given something we don't deserve. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they hadn't done something to deserve uh, God choosing to establish His covenant people through them, but God graciously gave them that blessing of being a part of that. He has graciously given you and I that blessing of being adopted into His family through Christ. Right, You didn't do anything. I did nothing that we could have possibly merited God's love and a restored relationship with Him. But God, in his love, in his graciousness, did that. You look, as, you look through the, the people. It doesn't take long. God built them into a, a nation in Egypt, and he led them out of Egypt. And we've talked about some of that in the uh, Heroes from Hebrews series as we saw the people leaving Egypt and stuff. And if you've read it, you, you know how the people were rebellious through it. They had a bad attitude through it. It didn't take long for them to say, why don't we just go back? You know? But God carried them through. God was gracious in that. Did they deserve that? No. No. But God in His loving kindness carried them and sustained them as they wandered through the wilderness until He gave them the land of inheritance. After God destroyed seven nations. He is gracious to give them their land. What an awesome testimony to God's uh, graciousness. I think the Ephesians 2 speaks so powerfully uh, to the gospel message here. And starting in verse 4, Paul writes, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's by grace you've been saved. And why? Because God wants to demonstrate the the richness of His grace and His love and His mercy in us. What an awesome privilege that we have. And again, we see in Jesus Christ the fulfillment the culmination of God's plan the 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 climax per se of, of God's story you look at stories you you got like the introduction the the demonstration of the plot and, you know, I don't know the technical words for it. I probably should have figured that out but uh, and then like the build up right and then every story has that like climax like this is it this is what it's all about and then it's the carrying out after that time, right? Jesus was that climax. You see, you read through the Old Testament, it's like the building up to this, this moment. Boom, Jesus has come. Jesus died. He was raised from the dead. What an awesome thing. And now we're in this stage now where, where we're carrying out the gospel message. We're still part of this. God is still working. The story's not over. We know where the ending's at. We know what it is, but we still get to be part of that, that great uh, joy, right? We have forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ, every single one of us we've trusted, Paul says, for everyone who believes, everyone who believes, they, have free, they are freed from everything from which they could not be freed by the law of Moses. This should not be something, and I've got to be honest with you guys, this is one of those things that with time and being around church a lot, it just kind of gets worked into the walls, right? You just, it's become ordinary. But this is not an ordinary thing. This is the most extraordinary demonstration of God's graciousness. That we could have forgiveness of sins. Because God himself made the sacrifice to restore that relationship. That, is, that blows your mind when you stop to think about it. That God would love you. That he would love me that much. To provide that, uh, that restoration that we couldn't do. We could not do it. And as a matter of fact, you know, we deserve all the opposite. We deserve the opposites of of God's graciousness. We deserve His wrath. We don't deserve God's kindness. We don't deserve God's faithfulness. But that's why we get to bear that testimony, right? To a watching world. To a watching world that we've been made new. We have an awesome relationship with the most incredible, loving, giving God and we get to experience life with Him on a daily basis. What a cool opportunity that we have. So we're encouraged by His kindness, by His faithfulness, by His graciousness. And these things, they work interwoven, right? You start to think about God's kindness. Well, His kindness, you see it throughout history, is demonstrated in God's faithfulness, right? In His faithfulness, Demonstrates God's kindness, right? Him being kind to us is God being faithful. Him being kind is, or uh, him being faithful is God being kind. We don't deserve that. God graciously gives both of those things to us. We don't deserve it. Like we've said, like listen, they work together. And what an awesome! That's why this story is such a a powerful story. Why we don't need to be ashamed, but we can be sent and empowered and motivated to go and, and proclaim the gospel to those around us. It is the good news that despite us, despite you, despite me, God has brought salvation. That's an encouraging thing for us today. And when Jesus uh, says on the cross, you know, as he hung there, and as the time came, he said, it is finished, right? I think Jesus is talking about the gospel message. God's redemptive plan, as it moves up, the sacrifice is being made. Not only uh, is he saying, it, it's finished, what you the mission you've called me to do right here on this earth is, is done, but God now, has, he's finishing his act of redemption. That now, we have the gospel, and we get to go and share that gospel. God has brought the redemption in Jesus Christ, and we get to be a part of that. That's why, as we look through the Acts last year, our sermon series was called Unfinished, right? The story is not yet finished. We're still going. And now this year is called Unstoppable because the gospel is unstoppable. There's power in the gospel. We just need to be a part of that and share it. Experience the goodness. So we're encouraged, but the gospel also demands a response from us. We won't spend a lot of time uh, here, but the gospel demands... response from us we need to believe the gospel paul says there's freedom for those who believe many people here not many people believe but for those who do there is freedom and the freedom that he speaks of i believe is a freedom where one we're, we're freed from sin we're freed from guilt is in the sense that through Christ's resurrection, he defeated sin, he defeated the power of sin in our lives, that as a believer, believer now we can, we can live in righteousness, right? We can live and, and do God's will, we can carry out goodness, we're his workmanship, created to do good things in Christ Jesus. We get to be part of that, um, and we're not condemned by our sin any longer, so we're free in that sense, but here's one way, and we talked about it in our small group this last week, that freedom that many christians i sadly many christians i believe don't demonstrate is the freedom to live life to the full right jesus uh, said in john 10:10 10, 10, i have come to give them life that they may have it abundantly right as christians sometimes what we'll do is we get into this rut of legalism and and We become Pharisees in many ways and we will talk and speak like we have this freedom in Christ and we're not guilty any longer but we don't uh, demonstrate the freedom that we get to do uh, God's will. We get to be obedient to God now. We have the freedom in that way, right? Instead, Christianity sometimes is looked at as a list of rules or we get this mindset of well, I can't do that. I shouldn't do this. I have to do this. And there's not freedom in in those ways. But uh, as a youth group, we have a list of ten rules that we have for kids. One of those rules, instead of saying, hey, you have to participate in whatever we're doing, right? We can't have uh, all these different kids doing separate things all the time. You, You have to participate. You get to participate, right? That should be our mindset as believers. We get to participate in God's work. We get to be part of His church. We get to make a life-changing impact in other people by being a part of what God is doing. Right? We have that privilege of being part of the story. We get to serve a good God. Freedom. I hope and pray that this week we would all live in freedom in a way that we have not lived perhaps in a long time. That God would uh, give us a sense of freedom to go and to do His will, that we would have a joy in doing it. We wouldn't be worried about the what-ifs and the ands of, well, if I, if I say this about Jesus or my faith to this neighbor or this friend, well, well maybe they're going to think I'm weird or we'll, we'll ruin a relationship here or whatever. But looking for opportunities. Instead of saying, yeah, I'm going to wait but say, God, give me the opportunity that I might be able to do it in freedom. So we need to believe in the gospel. Secondly, Paul gives a warning to not reject the gospel. Don't reject it. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. i got to be honest. I can't help but wonder if Paul knew that the Jews weren't actually going to accept the gospel message. I can't help but wonder. I know it's cheating a little bit, but if you looked in verse 44 and 45, we see that the next week comes around and, and uh, they had begged the week before that the gospel be preached more. The next week shows up and almost the whole town shows up to hear, hear the good news. And all of a sudden the Jews are like, wait a second. It says they get jealous. And they start to oppose Paul and Barnabas. And they start to contradict them and revile them, Right? I wonder in some ways if Paul didn't know that they weren't going to accept this message about Jesus. And so he tells them in a sense, listen, I'm telling you this now. I'm showing you the Gospel message. I'm showing you the truth. But you might reject it. Don't let this be true of you, you scoffers. That when I tell you of this great work that's being done, you still won't believe it. Right? He had talked just a second ago. Here's the irony of it to me. He had talked just a minute ago with them and said, listen, the Jews in Jerusalem, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they failed to recognize Jesus. and They failed to understand that he was the fulfillment of the Scriptures. And then they condemned him to death. And in so doing, they fulfilled the Scriptures. And he says they were taught every week. They were read every single week. I think in some ways Paul's saying, listen, don't reject the Gospel. Don't reject it. And this is true for us here, right? For those who have already accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't, don't quench it. Don't oppose it. Don't reject that gospel message. And there's going to be people in this world who do reject it. And for them, you know, Paul speaks of, of the, the nature of uh, those who haven't trusted Christ. Jesus speaks heavily on it. The idea of hell, the only thing that is in store for those who have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ is destruction. It's destruction. And as believers, I would never want to wish that destruction on another human being. I would never want to wish that somebody wouldn't come to know Jesus Christ. Think of those that you love, the people you work with, the people you live next to, who don't know Jesus. And there's no guarantee of another opportunity to share this might be the chance. This week might be the last opportunity that you have to share the gospel message with somebody. Live it out. Share it with them. Tell them of Jesus Christ. That you would be so moved and, and by a relationship with God yourself that you couldn't help but talk with other people about it. I was so convicted by that idea this last week as I was thinking, man, golf has become a game that I love. I love to golf. But when I tell a lot of people that I like to golf, lots of people will say, That's the dumbest game. It's so boring. I hate golf. But you know what? That never makes me not want to say, It doesn't change the fact that I like golf. I don't care. So what? You don't like it. I love golf. I'll still talk about it, even though you think it's the dumbest thing on the, the face of the planet. But when it comes to our faith, don't we do the opposite? And that's why I was convicted. It was like, I don't have a problem talking about golf, even though people may reject it and think it's dumb. But for some reason, when it comes to faith, we can care so much. I care. I think twice before I say something about Jesus. Why? Well, they might reject it. They might think I'm stupid. They might think the whole thing is hogwash. They don't believe in Jesus. And so I'm I'm timid in sharing the gospel message. I'm timid in talking about my faith. But why, man? I'm I'm not scared to talk about golf. Don't let the fear of rejection be the thing that stops you from opening your mouth and saying something about Jesus Christ. Don't let that fear stop you, but take a leap of faith. You never know. You never know the blessing that you might have in sharing the gospel. And that's the last thing. We need to share the gospel message. The Jews, they seemed receptive to it at first, only for a week later. and We'll learn more about this next week. But a week later, they're in opposition. They're fighting the gospel. The jealousy of it. They're, they're wanting to hold it in. And to see it proclaimed to the masses was not okay. They didn't like that. As Christians, sometimes we do the same thing. We become possessive of the gospel message. We hold it into ourselves, and we talk in, with each other about how great God is. And we'll, we'll gather on Sundays and have uh, awesome services where we sing praise to God, and, and we give to God, and, and you know we spend time studying His Word. We gather as believers in each other's homes. We eat food together. We share life together and When's the last time you offered that to somebody else who doesn't know Jesus? When's the last time you reached out to somebody who didn't know Christ? And you, that was your purpose, if you want them to know the truth. It's one thing, it's easy to do it within the context of church. It's easy to stand up and and talk to a bunch of people about God and You know, talking about God's faithfulness and His kindness. It's easy to stand in front of a bunch of 12-year-olds and say, hey, you should believe in Jesus. This is the gospel message. It's another thing when you're sitting next to your neighbor who you've spent years building a relationship with, and you're like, I'm going to put it all on the line for Jesus. Because here's the reality. If another day goes by and they pass away, something tragic happens, and they did not know about Jesus, that's going to be the one thing you wish you would have told them about. Right? You'll look back and say, man, why didn't I just tell them about Jesus? Because now you know. You know where they're spending eternity. That's why Paul is so motivated to go. He's excited to go and the way Paul looks at ministering to the gospel is different than the way many of us look at it today. Paul, man, he's a guy who went through all kinds of persecution. He's locked up in prison, man. He was shipwrecked, all this stuff. And he doesn't talk about, oh, I have to go to the church in Ephesus. I have to deal with the Corinthians. But he speaks of suffering for the gospel. He speaks of ministering to the gospel like it is the greatest joy in his life. Like he would do anything. For other people to know about Jesus, He would do anything to minister to other people. And that is a conviction to me. Because how often do we kind of make a line and say, I'm not crossing this line? I'll work hard up until here. And then somebody else has got to pick it up. Or I don't want to, this is too much of a sacrifice. This is too difficult. This stretches me too much. This is too far out of my comfort zone. Uh, It's for somebody else. But you think through how God has used people. He has used those who feel the most inadequate and in many ways are the most inadequate to do the greatest things for His sake. Because why? When our weaknesses are demonstrated and God works through it, God is made to look absolutely magnificent. Powerful and wonderful above all things. So... Be encouraged this week. My prayer is that each of us are so encouraged by being reminded of the Gospel message, the good news of of Jesus Christ, the God who sent his son to die on the cross and to, who raised him to life so that you and I could have life, that we'd be so encouraged by that that in the same way that I had the excitement to go tell everybody that I got a hole in one in golf, that we would go and say, hey, have you heard about Jesus Christ? He loves you so much that he came and he died for you and he rose again that we could have life. Man, you've got to get a hold of this message. That we would have an excitement to go and make an impact in our communities that more and more people would come to know Jesus, our Lord and Savior.